Hey everyone, and welcome to Imagine the Possibilities with Intelia, where we showcase Intelia talent across departments. My name is Maritza Gamboa, Associate Director, Talent Attraction Programs. On this show, we take deep dives into all things culture and careers. We talk about career steps and missteps, development, growth, and more. Just imagine the possibilities of what we can learn together. Today, we are imagining the possibilities with Kirthi Shetty, Associate Director of Program Management here at Intelia. Kirthi joined Intelia in November 2020, the same time as me, actually. She holds a bachelor's degree in molecular biology from Princeton, a PhD in immunobiology from Yale, and an MBA from Quantic School of Business and Technology in D.C., She worked for three years at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute before joining Intelia. And a fun fact about Kirthi, she's visited 48 out of the 50 United States. The only two missing are Alaska and Oklahoma. Let's dive right in. Hi, Kirthi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. In the show introduction, I provided a quick intro on your background but I'd love to have you start by telling us about yourself. Yes, uh, I'm delighted to be here. So I think you pretty much covered my education and work experience. So I'll go a little bit more into how, you know, program management was the right fit for me and how it brings value to a company as I I had no idea about um, the role of a program manager, uh, you know, when I was in graduate school and early on in my career. So I like to say, you know, I'm I'm a scientist by training, but a program manager at heart. Um, and both parts together have helped me understand, you know, how to better contribute to the life sciences industry. Um, so while I, I appreciate the technical details, I really enjoy stepping back and seeing the big picture to develop a strategic roadmap towards achieving program and company goals. So this involves, you know, connecting the right people and ideas, anticipating risks, solving problems, and communicating the right asks to make the deliverables more manageable um, to achieve the big picture strategy. And so, you know, many people like to say program management is pretty much just herding cats, but it (laughs) requires, there's a little bit more to that, that it requires, you know, leadership, diplomatic um, skills, intuition, creativity, and really strong interpersonal skills to create a positive working environment and essentially guide and cheerlead and motivate a team to deliver on the goals. Um, And just lastly, you know, I just want to make a quick note that inside and outside of my role at Intelia, I highly value um, science education outreach Mm. and make an effort to be involved in mentoring activities as they've helped me get to where I am now and I'd like to pay it forward. So um, that's a really important component for me as well. Fantastic. And I will definitely talk more about that in a bit. But to stick to just finding your path and, and finding what you knew, what you wanted to do, you completed your PhD, which by itself is so difficult. And then I think there was a little pause, but then you went back to your MBA. And as someone who also has one, I can say that that's also pretty tough. <laughs> so I'd love to hear just maybe your decision to enroll in MBA or if you always knew you wanted to go for both degrees. And then I'm curious if you feel like it has helped because it's such a killer combo. So in my mind, it's like, 
you can take over the world now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, I realized a lot of what I did as a program manager at the policy institution that I worked at and at Dana-Farber um, involved business skills, such as, you know, negotiating contracts, managing alliances, fundraising, monitoring budgets, developing a, a full-blown business plan for a new genomics oh, wow. lab and a manufacturing facility. Um, so I did a lot of this. I was doing a lot of self-learning on the job and which was a great experience, you know, just like kind of wearing multiple hats and learning as you go. But I wanted to kind of make sure that I was doing it in the, the most like efficient way as approaching these things in an efficient way mm. and um, kind of like having more of a standardized approach um, and uh, kind of wanting to explore more of this business aspect. So I decided to apply for an MBA. And um, another reason to do that was also, I just didn't want people just to view me as a scientist oh, okay. um, and that I do have like those managerial and business skills. Uh, I just felt like having those three extra letters um, might give me an extra um. Mm -hmm. And um, as you said, you know, I had done a lot of, you know, schooling for the, the PhD, like that was like six years of, of uh, graduate school. And so I didn't want, when I was looking into MBA programs, I didn't, necessarily want another two-year traditional program and um and also looking for something that was more affordable mm -hmm. um as i kind of wanted to start um earning money like <laughs> like the earning potential yes. after a phd and stuff so i actually came across um this program called the quantic school of business um, um technology um and at that time it was called smartly it was like the Smartly Institute. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a one-year program and free at the time. Oh, nice. um, and so I was like one of the early cohorts in the program. And I applied for it, got in, and it was all done online through this platform, an app platform. And I really enjoyed um, learning through that. It was like given in this like bite-size mm. information that was really easy to digest and um, grasp and retain the knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't like, you know, long video lectures online, which I've done, I tried in the past <laughs> using edX or like Coursera or something. And this was just like a more approachable way to learning yeah. the skills. And so um, I got a great experience out of it. Of course, it is a little bit different from a traditional MBA. This is in virtually, I only kind of communicated with my cohorts through Slack's uh, sorry, do Slack messages. Mm -hmm. And we did have like case studies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't, you know, say like a summer internship program at that right. time. I think they have built that in. And now it's a longer program. I think it's like 18 months. There mm -hmm. is a tuition fee now, but it's pretty nominal compared to the traditional MBA programs. Yeah. But it, it was just like what I needed at that time. I did a lot of the coursework through on my commute to work oh, like on the bus and stuff. And so I, I, it was great, um, but I, I, I do think still like learning on the job and having that experience, being able to translate those skills yes. is still very important. Just the degree itself is not sufficient, but I was able to um, translate a lot of that work at um, Dana-Farber mm -hmm. and then of course, uh, eventually at Antelia. I love that. So it wasn't just, let me keep going to school for the fun of it. You were already working in a program management role and you saw the need. And then to your point, by doing it at the same time as working, which is also how I did mine, you can really apply it the next day. Like right. I used to say that to prospective students all the time for my MBA program because it sounds a little corny, but it's so, so true. Like 
it's one thing to learn in a classroom and it's another thing to learn it and then apply it in the working world and like see it firsthand. So I think that's, that gives a lot of light and I love that you went that path. So I recognize I'm jumping around a bit, but am I correct in the assumption you went from your bachelor's into your PhD? And then how did you at that point find the program management? Yes. Yeah, so I actually did a science policy fellowship right after my PhD. Interesting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, I was heavily involved in graduate school in this um, graduate school club called the Yale Science Diplomats. It's a science policy club. Um, and I, you know, the first year I was, you know, just like a, just a, a regular member. And then I actually took on a leadership role the following year. And um, it was a lot of, you know, kind of discussion of state level and governmental policies um, surrounding science. And mm. I just really liked being at the intersection of science, uh, sorry, like academia, industry, mm -hmm. and government, and seeing how that all plays together into this um, role of, you know, getting, you know, basic research translated into the clinic. And so um, I, through that uh, leadership role, actually learned a lot about program management. I didn't realize at the time cool. what I was doing was program management, but, you know, it, we, started off with a membership of five people. And then like um, during my um, leadership, I w uh, had expanded it to 50 people. Um, and like five across, zero? Oh, yes. wow. And then uh, across different, um, like before it was just all immunologists, which was the department I was in. But, mm -hmm. you know, we um, got um, you know, folks from engineering and other backgrounds involved. And so trying to really make it across discipline and representative of the graduate school. And we initiate a lot of programs. And so I, that I learned was like a lot of program management and how to lead and motivate people mm. and giving them tasks and roles that they felt, you know, passionate about to deliver on. And um, I just really enjoyed that work. Uh, not so much maybe my lab work as much. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I still really like science and I want to continue supporting yeah. scientists. But in a more big picture way, and again, like bringing all the right people to, to the table, hearing those voices mm -hmm. to support the industry. So that's fantastic. Uh, so I, I actually did a science policy fellowship, which brought me to Boston. Um, oh, okay. So it's called American Academy of Arts and Sciences in Cambridge. And it's there for two years and um, led several programs um, and had got to work with um academics, um, CEOs, startup, like CEOs of startups, mm. ethicists, uh, the, uh, philanthropists and stuff. So it was really cool to just be working with, with different sectors yeah, and like um, managing these programs and having to like find the funding too. So oh. writing a lot of kind of grant applications to foundations um, and mm -hmm. really highlighting the needs and stuff. So that's actually where I learned a lot about program management did not really realize that was the terminology when I was doing it. <laughs> but then I was, when I was um, looking for jobs, when my fellowship was about to end, I realized that a lot of the stuff that I was doing, what did fall under program management. And mm. I also realized I liked doing the policy work as a hobby um, mm. and as a passion project, but maybe not necessarily as a full-time job. What I really liked was actually launching the programs. So I launched mm -hmm. new initiatives and it was a very like creative process. And I was in charge of finding the right people to bring as part of our committee, as part of the board. And um, 
I wanted to pursue that. So I was trying to look for jobs in biotech uh, that, you know, was maybe like in a startup setting. Mm-hmm. And when I had applied, a lot of them, it's kind of like a chicken and egg problem. Like, oh, you don't have the industry experience. Uh, or they wanted yeah. me to start off at, as a scientist at the bench yeah. and then move into programming. It was just like, I just don't want to pipette anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but I luckily found this opportunity at Dana-Farber. It was a newly created role of a program manager and um it was up to me to mold it into what i want wow so it was kind of like a mini startup in an academic setting and that would just really kind of change the trajectory and i learned so much that's where i was wearing multiple hats Mm. being a program manager also doing clinical trial operations being the external manufacturing liaison and managing contracts and stuff so that was a valuable experience so all that kind of it sounds convoluted and not a straight path, but they kind of all built upon each other mm-hmm. to get to where I am now. I actually love stories like that because it's not as if you set out at 18, going into college, knowing what you wanted to do and stayed on that straight path, if you will. You sort of took leaps and took opportunities, joined this club at school, made the most of it, and that really created this path. And now you're doing what you love. So I know I applaud you. I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I mean, like when I was in college, I was very much like, this is the plan. I am sticking to it. And it it never pans out. And even I tried it again in graduate school. It it just doesn't happen. But I think I I enjoy that being in the moment and just seeing where where these opportunities take you. So exactly. That's right. So then I'm going to skip over your time at Dana Farmer, not to take away from them, but I'm curious how you found Intelia. Yes. So I, was part of a um, mentoring circle through one of the, uh, you know, women in science organizations at Boston, which you know, I think we're going to probably discuss in a bit. Uh, but uh, I was in a women in bio mentoring circle. And um, one of, I was a mentee. And another mentee uh, was, was working at Intelia. And she was okay. talking about her experience there. And then I had also come across Intelia at a career fair. Um, at Harvard, which you know Dana Farber is affiliated with, so they had that open to anyone who was like Harvard affiliated. So I attended that and met some folks from Intelia at that career fair, and everything kind of you know just merged together. And uh, I have an immunology background, and mm-hmm. you know some of the exciting programs at uh, Intelia, well as immuno oncology, which is what I was working at at Dana Farber. So it seemed like a nice transition. And then, of course, CRISPR is just a very fascinating mm-hmm. technology. And when my molecular biology background, it just seemed like a good merger of all my wow. worlds to continue on to this curve path. And that's great. Yeah. And I just wanted to see how drug development occurred in a biotech setting because I was seeing it from um, an academic hospital setting. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were running our own clinical trials, but it's from the hospital perspective. So I wanted mm-hmm. to see how it was done in biotech. Very cool. Okay. And then if you can share with us what your day-to-day looks like now, and every day may not be the same. So just a snippet. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I'm mainly the program manager for the 5001 program, which involves a novel T-cell receptor or TCR T-cell therapy for patients with acute myeloid leukemia or AML. So it's a development program and in the clinic. And I also provide PM support for an in vivo project that's more on the research early discovery side. So it's been fun to be on both spectrums yeah. of the drug development side. So, you know, day to day, there's a lot of meetings and, <laughs> um, you know, 
uh, uh, one of the major meetings that I facilitate is this program leadership team meeting. So this is, you know, the core group that helps kind of set the strategy for the program. And I work with this program team lead to come up with the agenda, you know, what kinds of operational and strategy questions we should be discussing mm-hmm. and making decisions on at the meeting and assigning, you know, the follow action items and make sure that information is communicated to the relevant functions and sub teams in that program. So, um, you know, I think setting that strategy is so key yes. and um, doing it in a way that it seems achievable and not mm. overwhelming for, you know, the subject matter experts, everyone's super busy. So you mm. want to present it at a way, in a way that's easily to easy to digest and mm-hmm. follow through on. And, um, you know, another set of meetings is these, I have a lot of one-on-one meetings with those functional okay. leads and subject matter experts. And I think it's so crucial to have them uh, to understand, you know, what they're working on. And again, have that technical awareness. I don't need to know the details, but just to kind of get a big picture understanding of what their function is working on, what their needs are, what they're contributing, and then being able to tie in all those things together with other function and be like, oh, you should talk to this person uh, to you know get help on that or to help troubleshoot. Or, or I just was in a conversation at this meeting mm-hmm. with this person and like making those connections. So mm-hmm. kind of serving as that central glue and hub uh, to make sure everyone's aligned and is uh, aware of what's going on and you know kind of helping each other out. And then of course, you know, there's like governance meetings um, where you're uh, updating the executive leadership team oh, and yes. pr- making presentations for that. So, and then there's all these kind of ad hoc meetings in between <laughs> to talk about, you know, budgets and long-term planning program and portfolio strategy. So, um, but I also set up, you know, some time, like focus time mm. to work on, you know, actually do some work and not just attend meetings <laughs> and, you know, follow up on those um, meeting deliverables and kind of, think about how to lay out that framework for the strategy for, you know, getting things done and um, just kind of creating that mind space and um, getting, thinking ahead to make sure, you know, we're not Mm -hmm. doing things last minute and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's a lot of meetings. And then of course, emails and teams messages to follow up and check in on folks. Fantastic. I feel like a theme this season has been just about those long versus short-term planning. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious, and you don't have to answer specifically, but at a high level, how do you balance creating some sort of long-term vision or strategy for your teams, but then also knowing so much can change at any moment and balancing that? And I mean, what's important as a program manager Mm -hmm. and, you know, for the program team lead is not to dictate, I think, to the SMEs. I think we kind of operate on a, grounds up approach, you know, we want to get the subject matter experts and the functional leads, they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're on the grounds or, or like their team members are on the grounds knowing what's going on. So we like to get their input first. Okay. Um, and then try to kind of create that framework and bring it back to them. So it's like a very kind of like um, cyclical mm-hmm. um, and reciprocal process. Um, so I, I think we like, we like to, we still will provide that framework and we have a general sense, but each team, each, you know, side is kind of giving feedback, this kind mm-hmm. of continuous feedback loop, um, on the process. So it's like a very iterative process. Um, and, uh, it takes a couple of rounds and drafts to get yeah. through, but that's 
it's a very team oriented, not one person is like kind of dictating that. It just, it's a very team oriented. I love that. Yeah. Sounds really nice. I mean, you're (laughs) like, actually, no, at times I want (laughs) to, but that's great. Okay. So I'm going to completely switch gears on you here, but here at Intelia, we recently hosted a women's panel for Women's History Month back in March, and you were actually a panelist. So in part for this interview, I was going through that. And I know that you had talked about, similar to in your bio, just getting involved and building you know, relationships in the community, both mentors inside and outside the workplace, and just getting involved. So I'm curious if you can share more with this audience about your experience. It sounds like, of course, one of those communities led you to Intelia. So I already feel like they're amazing. But yes, if you could share more. Yes. So, you know, as an undergraduate and a graduate student working in the lab, my main mentor was, you know, the lab advisor. Mm -hmm. And they were great in terms of teaching me communication skills, presentation skills was mostly confined to the science and the data and not necessarily, I mean, of course, I mean, they've been academics for a long time and Mm -hmm. uh, teaching and leading lab is like only the only thing they knew. So uh, I needed kind of like that broader career guidance and advice. And when I went to the Policy Institute and Dana-Farber, again, it was still very academic oriented and, um, you know, they just didn't really know about the role of a, a program manager and stuff. And so I sought to seek mentorship outside and I came across the Association for Women in Science first. And I think actually they had approached me to be on a panel oh, nice. um, to talk about science policy. And that's where I learned more about the organization. And there was like a lot of people from industry and other sectors. And I was like, oh, this, should, this is a, a good place to kind of, you know, start my networking and, and stuff. And my network initially had been very focused on science policy, everyone in DC and mm. um, stuff like that. But uh, I wanted to branch out and realized I kind of wanted to move more into industry. And so I joined that, uh, the Association for Women in Science, attended a lot of their workshops and then joined their mentoring circle. And that was just fantastic in terms of helping me with my branding. Cause I was just like, I'm a scientist, but did policy, mm. but wanting to go into program management in industry. So just like, I mean, all my experiences made sense, but like putting it into a story that mm-hmm. shows how I had built upon my skills and it, it, it's a logical flow of like, you know, where I want to proceed. So my mentor helped me a lot with that, also connecting me with, you know, potential job opportunities. And, and so that was helpful. And then she also connected me with another um, networking group called um, Women in Bio, mm-hmm. and then also Women in the Enterprise of Science and Technology. And I had joined mentoring circles there as well, and always serving as a mentee, because each year I felt like I had some different thing I wanted to work on and focus mm-hmm. And they kind of all just built up on that. So I really owe it a lot to these um, groups and um, they have lots of workshops. I encourage folks to look them up um, and they are chapters across the US. It's not mm. just based in Boston. And now since everything's done virtually, you can actually still True. sit in on the Boston <laughs> um, um, conversations and learn a lot from there, you know, like negotiating you know, your salary and other, you know, important aspects and branding yourself and just, you know, how to present yourself um, in, in managing up if you're like the youngest mm. person in the room. 
Um, and so these are all very like helpful skills across any sector. So highly encourage um, folks to look at that. And it helped me in terms of expanding my network. And I get, got to see a lot of the same people um, by attending these events and they just got to know me and like what I stand for. And folks would just like send job opportunities to me. Oh, wow. And I didn't even ask them and stuff. So like people just kind of voluntarily reached out to me um, to, and just helped. And it's like, I'm very um, thankful for all that they've done. That's fantastic. But I do want to also work on, um, you know, networking within my own company. I think there's like just like a lot of great folks within Intellian. So I'm starting to do that as well. Um, and it doesn't, again, necessarily, you don't necessarily have to be in your function and yeah. doing exactly what you do. So, um, you know, with the, those other women in STEM associations, you know, I had connected with a director of communications, oh, which is not exactly what I'm doing, but she knew everyone at her company and, you know, was able to connect me with, you know, someone that I could um, potentially, you know, work with over there and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and again, a lot of the skills in different functions and sectors can still be applied to yours. Um, totally. so, yeah. So definitely don't, you know, rule out a person based on, you know, their title or even like their let like seniority and stuff. Mm -hmm. Even your peers can also provide some great insight. It doesn't always have to be, you know, a CEO that you need to talk to to get uh, <laughs> insight about something. That's a really great point. And then on that same panel, we spoke just about speaking up for other women. So I'm curious if you've ever had a situation where either someone spoke up for you or you spoke up for another female colleague and what that experience was like. Yes. So, you know, speaking up for um, other female colleagues had, you know, experienced or had witnessed mm -hmm. uh, some instances where um, junior female colleagues were talked to in a patronizing manner. Mm -hmm. um, and something I mean, that happens a bit more in academia. It's just unfortunately kind of how the situation is. And um, I, along with some other colleagues, you know, brought it up to our manager and even to the board um, for one situation because it did kind of get out of hand. Mm. And I think it just, you may not get the outcome that you want from these conversations, all, like the full outcome, but I think it still helps to keep raising that awareness. I think mm -hmm. they're, they're, so they may know that the, it is a situation and an issue and um, they recognize it. And I think kind of just like repeatedly <laughs> bringing it up maybe will eventually lead to some more, you know, kind of formal action and stuff. So, uh -huh. I mean, I think at first they were defensive, but then they understood like hearing us out more about mm -hmm. what the situation is like and making some small steps to address it. Um, but hopefully, you know, eventually we can like fully address that situation. That's a really good approach. Going to someone you trust, but who's maybe a bit more senior and sharing what you saw and then having them as an ally and helping you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And also like, you know, going along with that, like um, peer support. Yeah. Um, at my previous job, um, there's this other female colleague and we'd usually be the few women at the, the round table at the meeting. And we were the youngest um, mm -hmm. easily. And so we had made like a pact with each other that we would kind of non-verbally signal each other to, um, you know, sit up straight and not slouch. Nice. <laughs> uh, whenever we're, whenever we're um, making a comment um, and also to like, you know, nod in agreement with that person and then mm -hmm. have like a follow-up saying like, I agree with so-and-sos and this, you know, making sure she's 
getting the credit for it and following up on that. So, I love that. <laughs> it was yeah, really helpful to have. Um, and I also want to say that like there have been many colleagues who yeah. um, supported me and you know so like when I, I had joined Native Farber they didn't the pr- role of a program management was unclear initially is thought of as more of an administrative role and then um, you know a lot of the men co- um, the male colleagues said like oh you should probably present you know what is what value you bring because mm. it's kind of just rushed and we just got started very quickly and so I didn't have that chance to introduce myself and what I can bring to the program so and you know really appreciated their suggestions and they also kind of helped me guiding with the negotiation process or job search process as well that's great okay so then I've just got two more questions until our rapid fire what is Okay, so this is a two-parter, so really it's three questions. (laughs) What is your proudest achievement, both at Intelia and then also outside of work? Yeah, so I guess proudest achievement at Intelia. So, um, you know, I was awarded an annual values award uh, this past year. But I really think that's a testament to, you know, the program team that um, I have been uh, leading with uh, our program team lead. And... It just, I think, you know, emphasizes how much of a team-oriented program we are. I think it's just more, I mean, um, being awarded that is more representative, I'd say, for the team. And we were doing this all remotely. Like, I haven't been yeah. on site. And I, you know, onboarded virtually. Mm-hmm. I haven't met my team members. Ha- over half of our team is pretty new. Like, they just joined in the past year or so. So I think it's just really a testament to um, how we were able to really work together and achieve a lot of major milestones like filing Intelia's first IND and then, um, you know, dosing our first patient uh, with mm-hmm. a um, ex vivo cell therapy product. So um, I think that's it. I just want to acknowledge our program team overall yes. for that. Yeah, so much to be proud of. That's great. <laughs> and then how about personally? Yes. So um, I had mentioned earlier that I was part of that Yale Science Diplomats mm-hmm. um, group in graduate school. And um, one of the things that I had initiated with three other um, women in that group was this um, lecture, se- lecture and policy series called Science Ooh. in the News. And, you know, learning how to, again, create that program, scale it, and uh, you know, really get the community of New Haven involved. Uh, like the school systems and the library to host our our series and you know bring that educational material out there um, was a great experience and um, I'm proud to say that like it's still going on 12 years later wow. it has expanded to additional cities in Connecticut oh, and so wow. I'm just really glad to see it you know scaled and still sustainable and stuff and so and there's like it's evolved also over the years so I'm glad mm-hmm. that you know it's not like the, the same as I had left it, it's evolving for the better. Um, and I had actually received like a public service award from the graduate school for that. Oh my gosh. And I think wow. that just like instilled the confidence that I can, you know, lead something, you know, things in the lab are not looking that great. And then <laughs> I think also my, my PI at the time, I mean, he's been very supportive, but of course he had wanted me to focus more on the lab than yeah. you know, this stuff. But uh, he was asked to come, you know, to that award ceremony. I think he realized there that, like, that was, like, one of my main passions. And, you know, it was 
really you know receptive and super supportive of that so that meant a lot wow that's a great story oh I'd love to hear that and then the last question I end with everyone even though I know we've just talked about how we don't like to look too far in advance but what do you feel like is next for your career are you enjoying the PM world is there another area that you would love to explore one time yeah so um I enjoy being a program manager and actually when I was at Dana-Farber I tried some other roles, at, oh, like cool. doing a like side internship in the business development office at Dana Farber, oh, and also did like a, a venture capital fellowship um, in the evenings and stuff. So that actually, I, I liked doing them, but I realized that wasn't really where my heart was, and just like the personality and the mm-hmm. things that interest me the most didn't really align with those kind of roles. But I'm still grateful to have done that because. I still work a lot with the business development and corporate strategy folks at Intelia. So mm-hmm. learning that language um, really helped. And I also say like going back to the MBA, I think learning a lot about the terminology um, mm. that's used in the business world, it really helped as well. I, you know, I realized program management is still the thing for me and program management is also very flexible. So that's true. There's a lot it of probably different changes. kinds. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, companies and even within companies itself, program management can take on different kinds of roles, mm-hmm. whether it's more on the research side or development or even more business oriented versus more project oriented. And there's like alliance management as well. So um, I think, you know, kind of keeping in the vein of what I said before, I'm just kind of keeping options open. I like to experience many things as I can. Yeah. So whatever opportunities are kind of, you know, thrown at me, I'd like to like take them on because I think there's just like a learning experience with everything, either to rule out something that I don't want to do yeah. or like, you know, be like, oh, this is something I had never experienced before, but I really like it. Let me kind of explore this more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have like a definite answer right now. But <laughs> I think, again, I this is kind of go with the flow and see um, you know, what the path takes me next. I think that's a great <laughs> avenue as well. Yes. All right. So for my rapid fire finale questions, <laughs> just let us know the first thing that comes to mind. So if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would it be and why? Okay. So I don't have a specific place, but it's more of a concept. Okay. It's like just being on a boat, not like a fancy yacht <laughs> or anything, but it could be just a raft and just, you know, <laughs> lounging in a lake and seeing mountains and a sunset. Beautiful. I don't know where that place is, but if you have a suggestion that encompasses all of that, let me know. I mean, I'm going to St. Lucia for my honeymoon in August, oh. and I think there are both the mountains and yeah. the beach, so I'll let you know. Right, sounds good. <laughs> um, on this topic, before we switch, I want to address your fun fact we shared earlier. I can't believe you've been to 48 out of the 50 states. So the only two missing are Alaska and Oklahoma. What are your plans to get to them? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, Alaska, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff to do there. Um, yes. And eventually I will get there. <laughs> so I, I don't want to miss Oklahoma, but um, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what to go to. But what's interesting is that I used to live in Arkansas and Texas with oh. border Oklahoma. Um, but there's just still no reason to go to Oklahoma <laughs> And um, yeah, trying to find like flights to go to Oklahoma just maybe for a weekend, but they're kind of expensive, surprisingly. So um, yeah, but we'll I guess get there. anyone from Oklahoma is listening, drop us a comment with what you should go and see. Um, how did this start, though? Did you just end up going to like 20 states and you were like, hey, wait, maybe I can hit all 50? <laughs> yeah, so my parents and I like to do road trips when I was young and my 
dad was a is a professor and oh, so okay. our academic calendars lined up a lot so we could go oh, on like God. a road trip during spring break and uh and then like visiting the states i count as you know staying overnight or like you know having spent like, oh, a good amount okay, of good call. So it's like not that. just like yeah <laughs> having flown just driving Europe, yes. so yeah. we just did a lot of road trips um growing up and that's how I got to see a lot of these states. And then my dad would attend conferences and I got to go with him. And that's also another way how we got to see everything. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a favorite state? That's probably really tough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. They're just all so different and unique in their way. And I had also lived like I lived in five states. Oh wow. Myself. So in the Midwest, uh like in the South, in the Northeast. And so I think it's just made me a more adaptable person. Uh, and also being open-minded to like different views and beliefs and stuff like that. So all yeah. traits that make a good PM. So yes. it all makes sense. <laughs> okay. And then what's something you're currently working on in your role that you're excited about? Yes. So I, you were like alluding to, you know, like the long range planning. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of, you know, we're at this like very big inflection point and, and tell you, you know, we're growing rapidly, which is a good thing. Uh, but, you know, just making sure, you know, we're, we're thinking about this growth in um, a strategic way and a manageable mm-hmm. way. So it's kind of, it's been fun, to, again, to provide that strategy and roadmap and, again, um, interacting with those functional leads to get their input um, and, and say into how we want to shape our program going forward. That is fun. Great. And then my last question is, what is your favorite thing about working at Intelia? It's definitely the people. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, again, you know, I haven't been on site, but somehow I'm still very close and feel like I know a lot of folks at Intelia. And so I think this is a testament to how strong the culture is here um, and how much they value people. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about um, how much I look forward to working with my teammates every day. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today. And you are our last guest of season two. So we can officially say that's a wrap. Thank you. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much to our final guest of season two, Kirthi. We loved ending with you and your positivity that you radiate. So thank you. Thank you to all of our season two guest speakers and for all of you for listening and supporting our podcast. We are taking a break and we'll be back this summer with season three. If you have any suggestions or ideas on topics or people you want to hear from, leave us a note in the comments and we'll be starting on season three this summer. Thank you.